Coming up on Studios America, Josh Hammer breaks down the Supreme Court's involvement in the Texas abortion legislation. A former Marine experiences the dark side of civil asset forfeiture. And a detailed look at how abortion and the situation in Texas came to be and what it means for the future as we do the Texas abortion crackdown. Stu does America. You know, sometimes there are heroes in our world that go unrecognized. Sometimes people do amazing things and we don't even know they're going on. And then the media is there to step in and make sure we are alerted to know who the true heroes are in our world. Mm -hmm. This happened, luckily, just the other day. And I want to bring you into the moment. I want to bring you, I mean, sure, you've heard about these like soldiers doing, I don't even know what they're doing over there. Uh, they were in Afghanistan or something. I'm not even sure. Uh, women's rights, uh, you know, going on, whatever, little girls going to school. I, something's going on far, far away. But let me tell you about the real heroes here. The real heroes in Fort Worth, Texas. Mm. It was 8 p.m. on Tuesday when Marva Sadler looked at the patients waiting in her lobby. The list of patients waiting to return and even more patients waiting outside in cars surrounded by protesters and realized they might not get to everyone just to because they wanted to make sure they got, they got their kids killed and they did. They might not get to all those kids. Some of those kids might live. So they fought hard in four hours. A near total ban on abortions in Texas was set to take effect with two dozen people still waiting for the procedure at whole woman's health in Fort Worth, one of the largest abortion care clinics in the state. Sadler, the director of clinical services and her colleagues did the math. They needed to perform eight abortions an hour with only one doctor on duty, an octogenarian who had been working since 7 a.m. It felt impossible to kill all those kids in such a short period of time. Just to give you a little bit of additional context, that wasn't included in the article, but I'm just want to make sure you understand what they're talking about here. As they gathered the staff around, she told the workers, we are not the bad guys here. We're doing everything right. And what could be wrong about eliminating so many children? I mean, they're annoying, right? I mean, they're also loud and they make all that noise. The staff worked without stopping to eat. Shifting patients in and out of rooms in the lobby, people who had been waiting five hours or more asked when they would be called. They had to pick up other kids. Their ride was leaving. Their family members who were outside because of coronavirus regulations knocked on the front door to see what's happening. Would they be seen? Would they be turned away from killing their kids before midnight? Oh, gosh, I hope we have a hero in the story. <gasps> Just before SB 8 took effect at 1156 p.m., the doctor walked out of his last procedure to kill a kid. Clinic workers got to everyone they were legally allowed to treat. In 17 hours, these heroes, American heroes, performed 67 Abortion procedures. That's the medical procedure when you take the living person and you make them a dead person. They'd seen 60 people who had taken medication to abort at home 
Guy, my heart is so warm. Unlike the hearts of all the babies that just stopped. That's, that's what they did. But uh, yes, the, the procedures were complete. For a moment, the staff, this is actually in this article, for a moment, they were able to savor it. It being the death of 67 people that would normally be alive if they hadn't stepped in. They savored it, guys. I'm so happy for them. They were able to savor their hard work ending 67 lives. What an incredible achievement. I hope they were able to go home and savor it just a little more. Now, none of these kids will be able to savor anything because they're all dead. But I hope these workers get to savor, <laughs> get to savor their, their wonderful day. Sadler looked at the doctor and told him physicians half his age wouldn't have been able to do what he did. And what he did, by the way, was kill 67 people that should be alive but aren't now are dead instead. What an incredible accomplishment. You know, you get to your 80s and you think, maybe, I, maybe I, I'm not going to be able to do anything anymore. Maybe, maybe my, uh, my contribution to society is no longer all that valuable. And then you get that wonderful day where you killed 67 kids and you think it's all been worth it. I'm not a waste on society. I'm not a drag on society. I'm able to eliminate over five dozen children in one day. You know, that's when you know, that's when you know you've really arrived. And I'll just give you one more line of this fantastic story. Even if he had only performed one abortion, it would have been a victory. And when we say it would have been a victory, we mean murdering a child. That's your country, everybody. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? What a great way to tell that story, to alert all of us how fantastic the hard work of abortionists all over America is. It's really doing a lot, making sure that we don't have, you know, all these people around. Who needs them? Wouldn't it be great if we were just kind of, you know, I mean, look, we, we look at all the things that kill people and we say we should stop those things. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should celebrate the people responsible for them. I mean, it's just another way to look at it. And I'll leave that one up to you. Maybe uh, maybe that's the way you'll go. Hillary Clinton was very upset because what happened today in Texas was less kids not having, you know, their heartbeat stopped. And like, what a tragedy. You know, what a sad, sad time for Texas and America. Hillary Clinton knows all about it. She says last night, the Supreme Court officially overturned five decades of settled law and permitted Texas's unconstitutional abortion ban to stand. Not what they did at all. We'll get into that more. Yes, they gutted Roe versus Wade without hearing arguments in a one paragraph unsigned 5-4 opinion issued in the middle of the night. Not what they did at all, but whatever. We'll get into that in a little bit. As Justice Sonia Sotomayor wrote in her dissent of the Texas law and her colleagues' decision to allow it, the act is breathtaking act of defiance of the Constitution, of this court's precedence, and of the rights of women seeking abortions throughout Texas. They really should be able to kill their children. That last part wasn't in the ruling, but I just added it for just a little more context. It's amazing the way these people think. They act as if this is, it's like they're, they're at the Super Bowl. They should be celebrated. I mean, what happened to the safe, legal, and rare argument? 
Remember that old thing? Oh, yes, abortions. We want them to be rare. We, of course, we want the women to be safe and we, we think it should be legal, but rarity is important to us. We don't want these things to occur. They're an unfortunate side effect and a necessary evil. When did that go away? It's now just safe. I don't even know if they care about safe. All they care about seemingly is legal and available and probably free. Certainly rare. Screw rare. They don't care about rare at all. Would a society that thinks it should be safe, legal, and rare be uh, celebrating 67 abortions in a day? Would they? You know, Twitter, I guess, in some ways, could be a place to go to throw out, I don't know, some thought you have in the back of your mind. I do that sometimes. You know, you have some kind of weird thought, something you've noticed about the world. You kind of throw it out there. might be a little entertaining. And so I think it's important to not just trash people who tweet things that look bad. I think that's a silly thing. We've talked about cancel culture so many times on the show. It's kind of a silly thing to do. But I think what it does do, and I want to give you a tweet by a guy, Richard Hanania here, who it's just think of how comfortable you have to be in this mindset to tweet something like this. I mean, look. He's we can talk about this particular guy and you can get all excited about it. But you got to realize this is half the country. This is mainstream Democratic thought. So don't don't focus on this guy specifically. Focus on how easy this rolls off his tongue. Just write to Twitter. Here's a good point. Let me make it. That's all it is. Listen to this. You can't screen for Down syndrome before 10 weeks. And something like 80% of Down syndrome fetuses are aborted. If red states ban abortion, we could see a world where they have five times as many children with Down syndrome and similar numbers for other disabilities. Can you imagine what a terrible world it would be to see children with Down syndrome allowed to survive? What a terrible, terrible country we would have if people with Down syndrome were allowed to to live and and thrive in the life that they're that they're able to construct for themselves along with their families and their loved ones what a terrible world that would be there's not a thought there of like you know gosh am i just saying i want all down syndrome people dead it's pretty much what he's saying there we, we've seen countries now that are on the verge of eliminating down syndrome children like it's this wonderful accomplishment obviously we want to cure uh, illnesses uh, conditions that we're able to cure of course but to sit here and say eh, you know what if we got a what if they were all dead wouldn't that make wor- the world better can you imagine thinking like that can you imagine it he goes on could be outliers in the whole developed world there are already negative stereotypes in america in these american states uh so one can imagine it getting much more extreme because you know n- people being alive with down syndrome is a negative stereotype what if they also b- ban genetic engineering and embryo selection while other places go ahead will they maintain their belief in a small safety net and lower government spending in such a world would liberals change their minds about government spending if it ends up going to states that have much higher costs due to these laws many interesting things to think about and you know what he's right that's probably where this will go. Eh, a little funding argument here, a little question here on policy. No one's going to be outraged to the fact that we're, you know, people are excited and thrilled that dozens and dozens of children don't get born today. That's where we are as a society. 
The New York Times is answering your questions about what's going on with this law. And as you can probably expect, it was incredibly balanced and well-written. All of the questions were answered appropriately and accurately and didn't at all bring people down crazy roads that don't exist. Um, abortion providers in Texas estimate that 85% of patients seeking abortions are at least six weeks pregnant and they would be denied care under this new state law. Now, this number gets thrown around a lot. They, they're saying, yes, it's basically a total ban, except for the 15% that fall in this window. Now, of course, I'm not an expert when it comes to incentives, but I think anyone who is, ask any economists, if you put a ban at six weeks, people are going to go get their abortion before six weeks more often. So it's not gonna be 85% anymore. It would be lower and lower. Uh, as time went on. Not that that would be a good thing, by the way. Who will most be affected by the Texas law? There are 7 million women of childbearing age in Texas. Are they all getting abortions? Is that how this works? The law will make it more difficult for all of them to obtain abortions in the state. But the measure will create nearly insurmountable obstacles for certain vulnerable populations, abortions, pro abortion providers said. And, you know, when you want to get the fair and balanced opinion on abortion, you go right to abortion providers. That's why when I want to know, is McDonald's healthy? Let's ask Ronald. Among them, this is the, these are the people with the insurmountable obstacles, teenagers who often don't realize they're pregnant until later in the pregnancy. Low-income people who need to find about $550 to cover the cost of the procedure. What on earth? Why, why would that change anything on this part? They're, they're saying it's going to low-income people, they can't pay for the abortion? I, I don't understand that. They're not, there's not a part of the law that makes it more expensive to have an abortion. It's just uh, just has to be in the time period. And here's the thing. If you're spending five hundred and fifty dollars, my guess is you could use part of that five hundred and fifty dollars to fly to another state where it's available. Is that a good outcome? No, I think it sucks. I think it still sucks. But certainly this idea that we're walking into uh, the, the handmaid's tale is absurd. It's it, it's far. It, even if Roe versus Wade gets completely overturned, abortion will still be far too available in this country. And, of course, the big problem here, when liberal talking points run into each other, like a, just a, it's a car speeding towards a brick wall. The, the really sad thing is that people of color and undocumented immigrants won't be able to get their abortions because God, we, we got to make sure there's no more people of color. Obviously, the best case scenario is that more people of color aren't born that sounds like something Richard Spencer would say. And you know what's interesting about Richard Spencer is he's pro-choice. I wonder why. I wonder why so many people who are uh, white supremacists and uh, various uh, variations of that uh, general thought line tend to be for abortion. Is it because the same thing that every one of these articles says, did you know that 70% of abortions are for minorities? This is hurting access to abortions for minorities. Yeah, you know, that's the same argument that white supremacists make. They want your, they want your person of color to be aborted too. Congratulations, you've lined up with them. We're gonna have Josh Hammer on in a second because I wanna get into the kind of legal wranglings that go about with this particular bill. We know the goal here, at least I know the goal here is good.
And, you know, this is one of those issues that we have that sort of split. You see it on Twitter all the time. People making straw man arguments, responding to straw man arguments, or responding to steel man arguments. That's the split. Is it a straw man argument? Is it a steel man argument? What exactly is the steel man argument for abortion at this point? Convenience? I, don't, I mean, that seems to be it. I don't want to go through this, so therefore I shouldn't have to. And we should not really worry about who else is affected. The human being that we're talking about. What if we ignore that human being? Maybe that's the best way to do it. The goal here I completely agree with. The path, the specifics of the law, the way it's written. There's some issues there I want to get into with someone who knows what the hell they're talking about. Josh Hammer's coming up here in just a minute. Let me tell you about Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar. And you might say, I don't want a protein bar. Protein bars are gross. And you know what? Most of the time, you'd probably be right on that one. Uh, most protein bars, not that great. However, Built Bar is totally different. First of all, they lead with taste. They say, you know what? Let's make this taste good first, that people actually want to eat it. And then we'll make sure that this is going to be healthy, too. We're not going to let either side of this thing fall away. And that's really important. That's why they have flavors like coconut and mint brownie and double chocolate and salted caramel, cookies and cream, so many more. If you can't pick what flavor you want, just get the mixed box. You get nine uh, flavors, two of each and in the box. And if I might make a recommendation, this comes directly from the smartest person in my family, my wife, who says, chill them. Put, them, put the box right in the fridge. They'll be nice and chilled. You will adore them. 180 calories or less, 18 grams of protein, only like four or five net carbs. Uh, they're healthy for you, but they taste great as well. And they'll take care of that sweet tooth for you. Built.com is the place to go. Use the promo code STU15, save 15% off your first order. Promo code is STU15 for 15% off at Built.com. I want to welcome back to the program Josh Hammer. He's opinion editor for Newsweek and co-host of the excellent podcast, The Debate. Josh, how's it going? It's going great, Stu. Um, I apologize for the not ideal lighting. I literally just got to Florida last week, but I would I would never never push you aside even with those conditions, too. <laughs> Thank you so much. I do appreciate it, Josh. Well, it's a, I mean, it's a big week. Uh, a lot of stuff going on, obviously. Um, I want to start here, though, because I want to get into the legal sort of aspects of this Texas law. But before we do that, can you kind of like for people who don't know, what's your position on abortion and why do you believe it? Oh, sure. So, like the substantive um, issue. So I, I, I'm as pro-life as they come. I mean, when I was a first year law student, student at the University of Chicago, I um, co-founded Law Students for Life chapter there. I have marched in sub-zero temperatures and marches for life in Chicago, actually, when I was in law school there. Um, abortion is the civil rights, it's the human rights issue of our time. Um, the analogy between abortion and uh, antebellum pre-Civil War chattel slavery, I think, is, is crystal clear, um, just as back then, they said that a certain type, a certain form of human being was something less than human and that it, it should be treated as property that could be disposed of or treated uh, as you would any kind of other sort of chattel property. So, too, do we currently treat uh, unborn human life from the embryo all the way through the really all the way up through nine months under Roe versus Wade? We treat that analogously as, uh, as basically chattel property to be discarded at will. So I, I do directly analogize our current abortion regime and our current abortion jurisprudence to the jurisprudence before the Civil War and, and, and slavery. So 
Look, if we don't protect all innocent human life, what are we doing? I mean, that is literally government's foremost responsibility is to protect innocent human life. Um, unfortunately, since Roe versus Wade in 1973 and Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992, we have done something remarkably the opposite of that. Of course, we have a horrific constitutional jurisprudence in this area that has resulted in the destruction of tens of millions of innocent lives. But hopefully we're starting to head in the right direction now. Yeah, it does seem like we've turned the corner. And I obviously completely agree with you on, on every point you made there, perfectly stated. This is a it's terrible law that put us in this position uh, in the first place. And, and now we're sort of having to deal with it. But we have been dealing with it here for a long time. States have tried to pass reasonable restrictions uh, on abortion uh, without the effort, without the ability to overturn it completely. The Texas law has now been put into place. And I kind of want to get your your uh, your sort of legal uh, mind around this one, because I, I think for the average person, it's certainly who listens to this sh- uh, podcast or watches the show is, is probably pro-life. But uh, there's a little bit more to this particular law than just I want abortion to end. It's a very unique way they tried to push this through. And it was a way to sort of avoid the typical issues that that happen when a state tries to pass an abortion restriction. How does this law work? So the substantive element of the law, before kind of getting into the arcane legal weeds, is is actually very straightforward. Um, It's it's just a heartbeat bill. It's a fetal heartbeat bill. We've seen this kind of pop up in a lot of state legislatures across the country. I think Ohio, uh, under Mike DeWine, if I recall, passed something similar. We've seen uh, Arkansas, South Dakota, some various states have tried this. Um, So it basically just proscribes and bans abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected, which usually occurs at about six weeks gestational period. What makes the Texas law different is not the substantive element, not when abortion is banned or the fact that it is a ban to begin with, because these kind of incremental bans have long been a part of pro-lifers legal strategy going all the way back at least since Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992 itself, if not even further back than that. What makes the Texas law different is the enforceability mechanism. The law expressly prohibits, it enjoins government officials from actually enforcing the law. I, 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 I'm, ha- I'm having a hard time not to smile because it's, it's a clever bit of legal genius here, actually. <laughs> yeah. And, and, what, and uh, on a personal note, I can't divulge John Air, but uh, two people that I know from University of Chicago Law Circle, some, some elder alum friends, I guess we'll say, were kind of instrumental in drafting this thing behind the scenes. So I was kind of privy to this months ago, and it's just it's crazy to see that's not making national news. So basically what they do is they enjoin government officials from enforcing the law, and they basically say that the enforceability mechanism here is up to private citizens themselves. So that could really be anyone. I mean, that could be pro-life activists or it could be, um, you know, people who don't have a particularly strong stance on the substantive issue of abortion but have a, a, a vested interest in simply enforcing the law themselves here. It's almost kind of analogous to actually, uh, it's, it's, it's a different legal mechanism, but it's, it's, it's somewhat analogous to a very old, centuries-old common law concept known as known as a citizen's arrest. It was it's it's kind of a throwback, almost if you will, to kind of the 19th century Wild West in a sense, when a lot of um, you know a lot of these kind of old Western towns in Arizona, Colorado, Nevada. You know, we've all seen kind of the Western films here. 
because the rule of law was not necessarily strictly enforced, the sheriffs were oftentimes kind of corrupt or bought off here. Private citizens had an onus to then actually try to make arrests themselves or basically try to try hold off kind of scoff laws and offending um, authorities until the law enforcement can show up. That's not exactly what's going on here, but it's kind of sort of analogous to situations. So the enforcement mechanism is that private citizens and Texas Right to Life, which is a wonderful organization uh, based there in Texas, has set up kind of like a whistleblower website of sorts. And the in, in exchange, effectively, for successfully um, outing, and just to clarify for the viewers here, um, we're not interested, or Texas is not interested in prosecuting the women who get abortions. This is a very important point to make. Pro-lifers are never, as far as I'm aware, really interested in prosecuting the women themselves. Traditionally, the woman herself is actually viewed as a victim of this. The What we're interested in is having private citizens report abortionists, Planned Parenthood, abortion providers, um, maybe someone who's aiding and abetting the abortion, so kind of taking um, this woman to an abortion clinic after six weeks gestational period. But it's up to the private citizens to enforce it. And there's actually a $10,000 reward, effectively, that the statute has in place. So it's very clever. Um, and it's really something that I personally don't think I've seen in an abortion statute before. Uh, OK, so I, I, it is a really unique approach. And I couldn't think of anything that was that was comparative to you. The citizen's arrest is, is, is an interesting one that you brought up. Um, so before we get into like what this is going to look like going forward, is there a concern? And I because I look at this and I say goal 100 percent with this goal, this a path and this approach. I don't know if it's going to work and hold. We can get into that in a second. But the other part is, does it open it up to uh, all sorts of other unintended side effects where you would have, let's say, I mean, because you could totally picture a situation where a California says, well, you know, global warming affects us all. We need to be able to do something. So if you see someone that has an SUV, you can sue them and win $10,000. And, uh, you know, that doesn't seem like a a great structure for our legal system generally, though, as, as I, I would agree, I do like the uh, the uniqueness of the approach. It's certainly an innovative way to think about this. But doesn't this open us up to all sorts of weird, weird things going on all over the country? It's a totally reasonable question, and I don't have a good answer to that. Um, I, I, you know, I was actually texting with one friend earlier today who made this exact same point to me. He basically said, Josh, is there any compelling reason why this legal paradigm would only apply to abortion? And the obvious answer to that is no, of course not. I mean, you could do this with any kind of law. You could, you know, you, you could criminalize basically anything you want. You know, in, in New York or New Jersey, you could theoretically criminalize possession of a quote unquote assault weapon and leave that up to kind of private whistleblowers or private peeping toms trying, trying to like look through the window, trying to see what kind of gun the, the neighbor has. I mean. I, we're not there yet, obviously, but I mean, in theory, uh, sure, it's eminently plausible. Now, I, I don't I, I'm a little kind of perplexed, honestly, that this law is getting the attention that it's getting because I, I support certainly it's a good law in the short to, to near term. It is absolutely going to save unborn lives, which, of course, is the ultimate substantive goal of, of pro-lifers like like you and I. But this really is kind of a short term fix because. Once you get past kind of this this jurisdictional, you know, this these standing issues, which is all the Supreme Court actually ruled on last night, they basically said that that there's no standing yet from the abortion providers because of the unique way this law is set up. Once you get past that, and once you actually get to litigation, once you have once you have a plaintiff and defendant with actual standing here, then we're just ultimately going to get right back to where we started, 
which is whether this is a quote unquote undue burden on a woman's quote unquote constitutional right to get an abortion. And that undue burden language comes right out of the Planned Parenthood versus Casey case from 92. So we're, we're ultimately going to get back down here once this law goes into effect and litigation starts, uh, definitely within a month or two, possibly, I in theory, I guess, within weeks. Uh, we'll see how quick out of the floodgates the litigation is. So it really is just somewhat of a short-term band-aid, which I'm a little surprised that it's getting the attention that it's getting here, because what's actually happening in the background is that this law is being passed in the in the backdrop of the fact that the Supreme Court, of course, has granted cert to the Dobbs case in Mississippi. So they're going to hear this Dobbs case next term, which is a Less strict pro-life bill. It's a 15-week gestational ban, but for various reasons, the justices decided to uh, grant certain agree to hear that case, as opposed to all these other six, eight-week, whatever bans that they've declined to hear over the past five, ten years or so. So what's going on here is that this is kind of a, from my perspective, at least from my uh, vantage point, this is a short-term kind of jurisdictional procedural remedy, but it's very much conscientiously leaving on the back burner the actual substantive constitutional law issues uh, in abortion jurisprudence, that being uh, Roe versus Wade's quote unquote viability standard and more specifically Planned Parenthood versus Casey's quote unquote undue burden standard, that is left on the table here. This law does not actually take necessarily direct aim at that. The court has agreed to hear Dobbs, so we're not really gonna get any kind of final word on that until probably next, next June. Yeah, because I mean, that's I think people are a little confused as because of the way the media and the left have reacted. It was, right. They've exactly. gutted Roe versus Wade and exactly. all of these things. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me to correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but like looking at what the Supreme Court did, they didn't really like they didn't rule on whether this was an appropriate law. They didn't rule on abortion. All they essentially ruled on is basically we should allow this thing to wind through the courts and under a normal process instead of stopping it before that process begins, which is always what the left wants to do. They always want to have these injunctions against these laws that they don't like. Here they're saying, like, let this wind through the court system and eventually someone's going to have standing and have a suit and then we're going to have to discuss this approach, but we're not going to do it preemptively. Stu, I, I don't know if you're a lawyer by training, but you've hit the nail on the legal head better than all the other armchair legal commentators on Twitter. I mean, that's what you just said is exactly right, of course. I mean, um, you know, the abortion providers who purported to have legal standing um, sought a preliminary injunction to basically enjoin enforcement of this law before it goes into effect. And the court in a 5-4 decision uh, basically said this this law clearly presents novel procedural issues, because as we discussed earlier, it is very unlike any other abortion law, at least that I'm aware of. It is unique in many respects. But a party that actually has standing has not existed yet, because guess what? This law literally just went into effect yesterday. Right. I mean, like it, 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 it's been on the books for, for 24 to 36 hours I mean, by the time you know this podcast comes out. And uh, someone who actually has Article Three standing, which is kind of like an arcane legal doctrine, uh, which basically says you have to have a concrete um, harm and the court has to be able to provide a proper remedy here. And that's because a direct connection between the harm and the remedy. But because of the way this is set up, because of the fact that the government cannot enforce it here, abortion providers basically do not necessarily have third party standing in a way that the courts have traditionally said that they do have with respect to most abortion statutes. So literally all the court did. Um, and frankly, from my perspective, 
again, this was a very straightforward legal case because it's not about abortion jurisprudence. It's literally just about a preliminary injunction standard and standing doctrine. So uh, despite the fact that this is abortion, which is like the third rail of all third rails, as far as the court is concerned, they fabricate, concoct all of these novel ad hoc legal standards that don't apply to any other area because abortion is kind of obviously the most controversial topic in all of, of constitutional jurisprudence. But despite the fog of all of that, the actual bread and butter law here is extremely straightforward. Ed Whelan, you know, the prolific legal blogger and National Review's Bench Memos blog and former clerk for Justice Scalia himself back in the early 90s, he had a blog post today basically saying this should have been unanimous. It should have been 9-0. And frankly, it really should have been because, again, this is – despite the fact that this is an abortion case, the actual law here, the actual law in this overnight – failure to enjoin uh, preliminary enforcement of the statute is not about abortion jurisprudence. It's just about kind of procedural posture, standing jurisdiction, kind of arcane in the weeds stuff that second, third year law students like to talk about, but frankly, very few others like to talk about, which is partially why I'm so confused that this is getting out there in the media so much. But like you said, Stu, a lot of it is just willful disingenuous misinformation, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, Robert's being the most guilty of this, but it's so often I feel like these things just wind up being like, well, what sort of media splash is this going to make? We should maybe not look at the law this time. And it does seem like over and over again, that stuff keeps happening. Luckily, the conservative justices this time uh, did do the right thing, I think, in this particular case. And Josh, I know you got to run. Josh Hammer, opinion editor for Newsweek, co-host of the podcast, The Debate. Thanks so much for coming on and, and making the show smarter. Thanks so much, Tim. We talked a lot about pro-life uh, issues on this program today, but now let me tell you why adoption is wrong. Stay with me for a second. It's going to make sense. There's a guy, Stephen Lara. He's, uh, he's driving down the road. He is following another vehicle and then gets pulled over by a police officer because he's following too close to the other vehicle. Now, once they get to the side of the road, they're talking to him, they're having a normal conversation, and the, the officer basically admits it's nothing to do with you really following too close. It's that I'm looking for illegal drugs, weapons, and currency that's being smuggled across the state. Okay, uh, all right, so he asks him, do you get any drugs? No, we got any weapons? No. Do you have any cash? Well, he does have some cash. A lot of cash. A lot of cash in his trunk. So as he stands on the side of the road, the officers go through his car and they find a zip top bag in the trunk with $87,000 in it. Okay, $87,000, a lot of money. Why do you have $87,000? Now, you may know that it's your right to have $87,000 and nobody's business where it came from. Unless they can accuse you of a crime in some way, you don't have to tell anybody anything about where your money came from, but he decides to tell them, no, it's not from that. I, decide, I just don't like the banks. That's just not, I'm a weirdo, basically. He doesn't like the banks. He wants to keep his cash with him. He was going to visit his uh, kids and thinking about moving, and he wanted to, he had his cash on him. Now, you might say, well, that kind of sounds suspicious. It might, but it's not illegal to have your own money with you. This is, this is America. That's when adoption comes into the picture. Not adoption of children, but adoption of money. Because that's the term the officers used, adoption, when they adopted his bag of $87,000 and left him on the side of the road without charging him with a crime. 
What a wonderful process this is. This is civil asset forfeiture or adoption. It's much nicer. Um, it's a sort of thing that I have said. I've said this a million times. Uh, if you watch Pat Gray Unleashed, you'll see you'll hear him say it over and over again. It's one of these things that it just doesn't seem possible that it occurs in this country. Now, some officers will tell you it's an important thing to fight against drug dealers and, and, and you know, uh, weapons smugglers and things like that. And sometimes maybe it is useful. But in the United States of America, you should at least be charged with a crime before you can take money from people on the side of the road. Remember, this is not people who who are charged with a crime or convicted, which would be the standard I would think is appropriate. Like when you get convicted of a crime, then maybe they can take your drug money. No, it's not even when you're charged with a crime. It's just basically if they pull you over and you have a lot of cash and they have their suspicions, they can take the cash from you. Um, this adoption maneuver is something that happens often. Video of the stop recorded on multiple body cameras shows a trooper and this guy, Stephen Lara, having a, a, a genial conversation and Lara agreeing to be searched. The troopers pull the cash from his trunk and remark that the bills seem to be new. Lara points them to the receipts, which he has, that show the money is his. The trooper admits this, quote, as odd as it is, everything lines up. In the video, Lara tells the troopers that he does not trust banks, and at one point, a sergeant on the scene calls someone, apparently a DEA agent, to confirm the forfeiture process, and the trooper says, quote, it's too easy to do an adoption. They still take the money. That's the thing here. We're, we have a process in this country where you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. However, I guess if you have too much cash in a bag, we just reverse it and say guilty until you're proven innocent. So he has to now prove that this money is legitimate. For what reason? It's his. And he's done nothing wrong. He hasn't been charged with anything. Now, he does seem like kind of a quirky guy, at the very least. Uh, he's had some issues with his ex-wife. He owes her some child support. Some of the suspicions are maybe he's keeping this money out so that she can't get it. However, they asked the wife about this. Uh, her name is Kimberly Olson. Olson says she thought Lara might have kept his money out of the bank in part so that he would not have to turn it over in child support. But she noted that even when they were married years ago, Lara just liked to have his cash and made frequent withdrawals. She said Lara did not seem to spend an inordinately high amount of money, but liked to show off the cash itself and spend it on his kids. She said she did not think he was a drug trafficker. This is a good quote. He, had some, he has some problems. That's why I have a restraining order against him. But I just don't see this being some big ordeal where he's selling drugs or something. I just think he's weird. I mean, <laughs> I think it's honest. The bottom line is weirdness does not lead to your money going away. Weirdness, not a crime. At least not yet in this country. If you have money in your car, it should not be taken from you. Luckily, this, this particular case has had enough attention now. Uh, from the media where he is now going to get his money back that is rightfully his and that's a really good thing but so many of these cases go on where people don't have access to the big microphone to the big news story and they're just stuck it's wrong it really should end in this country and it's hard to believe you even have to make that argument in the united states of america back in a second You can go to Studios America, get links to 
everything you need for the show, social media, the episodes itself. In fact, normally I tell you to go to Studios America. You can click on the YouTube link. However, the other way I tell you to get to the show is go to YouTube.com, search for Stu, and I'll be one of the first channel there. Problem is, sometimes I don't say that for a while, and now, the last time I did that, I was like, not the first channel there. So today, instead of going to Studios America to find the show on YouTube, just go to YouTube.com, search for Stu. You'll see probably like some Saturday Night Live video and then a couple of other things. But everyone does that for a day or two, it'll be back to normal. So just do that today. By the way, there's a comment. You can always comment live on the show on YouTube. Uh, Richard writes, um, well, uh, talking about Biden, he has to protect the Taliban. Uh, what do you think? Who do you think has been buying Hunter's paintings? And that's a great point. It's probably the Taliban, I assume. I just have to assume. I don't know. Do they have enough money for Hunter's paintings? I don't think they do. You can also review the program uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Uh, this show, uh, love this show. Thank you, Stu. I appreciate your insight and being a voice I can trust. And I'm glad I fooled you into trusting me. That's the first step in any embezzlement operation. And I'm happy to be on this one with you. Remember, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. And when you review this show positively, remember, sure, it helps the show. But more importantly, it hurts other shows. And that's the most important thing. Um, Hurricane Ida, we haven't spent too much time on this. I mean, you know, we're not a weather show. But this has turned into a really damaging storm. I mean, obviously the damage is big. It's not going to be Katrina by any means, but as far as a death toll goes. But we are up to, I think it's 43 people have died now. Uh, a lot of flooding going on in the northeast, along with all the initial damages. Uh, a couple of things that have been pretty interesting to see. First of all, <laughs> there's a giant uh, field of solar panels that were just ripped up by the hurricane. And it's like, you forget that that's not really a reliable thing in any bad weather. It doesn't work if it's not sunny. And if wind blows really hard, you lose all of them. That's kind of damaging. Uh, and uh, Hurricane Ida unfortunately crushed one of the original Dukes of Hazard cars, the one of the original General Lee cars. Now, I don't know. I mean, maybe they say it was the hurricane. I think it was woke activists. Because there is a Confederate flag on that roof, and that is not okay. That is not okay. I will not accept that. Absolutely not. So poor uh, General, well, the car. <laughs> I don't really have warm feelings for General Lee himself. But the car, I do feel bad for. I watched that show as a kid, and you know what? I, uh, I, I feel like it's become this bizarre back and forth between activists whether can a car can a car oppress you if it's rolling over you yes but i don't think the flag on the ceiling is really going to do much difference uh it's not going to make much of a difference there back in a second Go to TalibanJoeMerch.com. Why would you do such a thing? TalibanJoeMerch.com. TalibanJoeMerch.com. You can get shirts, mugs, all the gear with Taliban Joe. He's the person of the year for the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. What an incredible honor for Joe Biden. Uh, congratulations, Mr. President. Okay, so here's what happened. German television show, reality show of sort, one of these contest show, kind of like a uh, American Idol, except this is like regular people compete against the stars in sort of a talent competition, okay? I'm going to show you some footage here. It's in German, but I'm going to explain in a second. Watch. Aber du bist eigentlich gar nicht so Einen guten Tag, Helsa, mein Name. Ich würde gerne wissen, wo zur Hölle ist GTA 6? Ich warte immer noch auf GTA 6 seit acht Jahren. GTA 6? Genau. Da warte ich, ich davor. Ich habe mich erschrocken. GTA 6. Ich habe keine Ahnung, da müssen es ja fünf noch nicht mal durch. 
All right, so a guy just crashes from the, the stage from the side. You could tell the, the woman is freaked out by this. Oddly, women don't like it when you just run up on them uh, when they're not looking. It's just for some reason, it's just like, I don't know, turn off. At least that's what they tell me. Anyway, so she uh, she's freaked out. He kind of reacts normally. Here's what's what's said there. Um, the guy runs up and he says, I wish you a beautiful day. My name is Asa. What I want to know is where the hell is GTA 6? I've been waiting eight years for GTA 6. GTA 6 would be Grand Theft Auto 6, uh, the video game. Now, GTA 5 is one of the biggest video games of all time. They keep releasing updates to it over and over and over again. It's been a long time. Seems like an odd request to run on a television show and demand that you get uh, GTA 6 released. There's not even a release date. I know it's supposed to come out to like 2025. There's speculation that maybe the video game company paid this guy to do it. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure. It's possible. But you remember those days, Grand Theft Auto, when people used video games to commit crimes and run over people? <laughs> those were the days.